The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can ask uh, a question via the listener inquiry button as well as listen to old archive shows. Good morning, Gentlemen, good to see you all in your little square. Good, good to see you in a, a non, almost non-locked out. Yeah, that's right. We can see the we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know the difference exactly. from gray and lockout though. Uh, the door's locked. That, that's the <laughs> Not difference. Not too much difference, but at least we're getting to the uh, right side of things, and hopefully we'll be in red soon. You know what also I've noticed, too, about the time of the year, and you guys were talking about taxation last week, is how do you meld that in COVID-19? There's, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Well, this is it. I mean, so many people rely on getting uh, you know, their mail and then getting all their slips together and heading off to their tax preparer or uh, maybe doing it online. This, is, this, is, this will be a big push. I guess Revenue Canada will be happy to see more people do online filing instead of paper filing. <laughs> this might be the year. Right? It's, it's certainly well, we going... About last year as well, and of course, people, there was a big surge of online filing last April as well. And, you know, it, it certainly puts a lot of people in a position where only a few were last year because people working from home. So it's, you know, taxation has been complicated enough. This just adds a different element to it. There is, and I know we talked about that on a previous show too, just saying if you are going to be claiming home expenses, uh, it's worthwhile just really going over that with a bit of a fine-tooth comb with your tax professional um, just to see which route is better to go, sort of a non-disclosure route where you just take their credit or if you've got more enhanced credits available to your deductions, you should be um, going the sort of deep, the deep dive route where you get all your receipts and all of your details in terms of what you can write off for your home yeah, the costs at home. So I know there was just quickly a, a, an information release today from um, Prime Minister Trudeau about tax relief for beneficiaries of the of the coronavirus-related income support program. So basically what they're doing is, and I, I think this is a bit of a minefield, you know, I think we've been talking about this before, but from a political perspective, the fact that a lot of people received COVID benefits that either didn't qualify or the the second big category, the biggest category, of course, is people who received it, but no tax was deducted. So now come filing for this year, they're going to get a little bit of a surprise when they see how much income tax they have to pay. And so as a result of that, um, I think in statistically, they said about 8 million people or 40% of the labor force received at least one form of the payment. Um, and uh, so essentially, if you earn less than $75,000, Okay. If you earn less than $75,000, you will qualify for a deferral of the income taxes. They'll be waived until April 30th, 2022. So you'll get an additional year to pay the tax without incurring any interest. So, um, you know, it's amazing. Basically, the, the government transfers uh, in the first nine months last year to Canadian households increased by about $100 billion from 2019. Ooh. So a lot of money flowed out, and um, in fact, we're looking at Canada's deficit for the fiscal year rising to about 17.5% of our gross domestic product 
from 1.7% in 2019. So you can see the impact this has had in terms of the uh, uh, the bank account for the government. There's really been a lot more going out than coming in. Uh, so again, basically a deferral of interest costs and um, penalties on your outstanding income tax until one additional year until April 30th, 22, for those individuals earning less than $75,000. So it's interesting that they actually segmented that group uh, 75,000 and under, and of course 75,000 over, which probably wouldn't have qualified for benefits essentially. Right, and it's a, you know, it's kind of interesting how a pandemic has, obviously, um, there's a lot of people that needed funding, and you know, great for the government to step up and provide this funding. It kind of goes back, if you looked at it, what opportunities did the government have with funding with infrastructure that could have been an investment? And it was funny. I think I may have mentioned this before with the amount of just the testing how many arenas they could have put in or uh, multiple sports places or all these things that would have been of long-term value for all the communities. Or even building facilities that could produce a vaccine. Uh, yeah, there's a real big one right there, Scott. <laughs> Good one. Sorry, I didn't mean to get political, boys. <laughs> but yes, it's, so it's, it, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be done. And so you, know, so you look at the government side, but then you look at yourselves personally. People have also, you step back and say, okay, it's always great to, you know, complain about the government, but we, we are the best rationalizers when it comes to not saving money. And I know, Andy, you're, you've got some things to discuss that. Well, I just, we, you know, one of the, the topic I wanted to cover on this segment was what I entitled avoid, how to avoid failing at retirement. And, um, you know, I was uh, enjoying a Super Bowl Zoom party last week, and uh, one of my uh, friends is retired and uh he's calling himself the fixed income guy <laughs> and he uh but he said it's been it's been the strangest retirement of course for so many people and um but yet in talking to other retirees you know a lot of them talk about how it really hasn't there's been some um you know change in their circumstances in the context of what they can do and can't do and travel obviously but for a lot of retirees not a big change in terms of their um you know, their, their normal retirement life. Um, but, you know, I, when I think about failing at retirement, it's, it's an interesting sort of how we set ourselves up for this. And we think about during the period when you're, when you're working, if you're thinking about it as, as sort of, I'm using this water analogy, but while you're working, you're, it's kind of like a flow of river. You have this uh, flow of water. You have a stream of income coming in all the time. You get your regular paychecks. You get your bonuses. And, um, you know, so all that cash gets funneled into this river, your, your, your money stream, we'll call it. And uh, basically, you sort of you dip into it and you take money out as you need it, but the, but the money continues to flow. And then all of a sudden, you, you do this switch where you get to the end of the river and now you're in this lake. And the lake is really what retirement is. And, you know, typically for most people, when, once they reach retirement and they've got their lake of money, they, um, there's really no substantial inflows. Sometimes people might, might work part-time or something, but generally there's no, no additional money flowing into the lake. So there's sort of this mentality that I want to protect my lake, right? I don't, want to, I don't want it to drain out too fast. And so how do I sort of balance that, that sort of mindset around keeping, um, you know, keeping, make sure my lake is protected? And so I think there's sort of five things that I came up with to avoid failing in this sort of context. And the first thing, and Don was talking about, is just keep your eye on your spending. 
And, you know, when you're working, the river's healthy, you got money's flowing into it, and you might have sort of more lavish spending habits, you're taking vacations. Uh, remember those? Uh, we used to have meals, <laughs> meals, meals out, you know, shopping trips, all of these things that are part of that sort of healthy river and kind of a lavish spending habits. And for many people, though, when you retire, you kind of have similar desires, right? Nothing you really want. You never, you don't really want to change the fact that you can go out to eat and you can have a vacation and you can do these shopping trips. And you factor on top of that the fact that now you've got more time. So you, you know, things like um, getting a whole carving set from Lee Valley or joining the golf club or joining a yacht club. So not only do you have uh, all these desires to, you know, enjoy life and, and, and live lavishly in some ways, but your hobbies can often get more expensive too. And um, so the, the key thing then is you sort of really want to watch that withdrawal rate. So keeping an eye on spending is just sort of helping to transition from that healthy river to our lake idea and just kind of trying to protect the lake to a large extent. And that's that withdrawal rate. Four to five percent is a typical pattern in terms of a, of a withdrawal rate. Um, there's no set rule on this, and each individual situation is different. Um, number two, with way to avoid failing at retirement, cut the kids off. You know, the kids are, it's an interesting dilemma. I Basically, what we see many times is adult kids that are failing to become financially independent and Basically, they're doing it because they're getting continued ongoing support from mom and dad. And uh, so, you know, I know it makes sense if there's a crisis going on, if there's an illness or a marriage breakdown or something happens, you're going to step in. We're all going to do that. But too often, crises sort of become this permanent condition. There's the crisis du jour or du week. Uh, And I think what the, the best way to handle your children is to make them aware of how much it costs. And so, for example, let's say you're dealing with some uh, uh, young adults or teenagers. Maybe if you had three kids, for example, and you've got three phones, you're probably looking at about 250 bucks a month. That's three grand a year. If you've got kids that are driving, your car insurance has gone up. That's probably another three grand a year. Do you take your kids when you travel? Do you take them to a cottage? There's another couple of grand a year. Do you pay for food or meals when you go out or, or buy them things? That's another couple of grand a year. What do you do for gifts every year? Do you buy them gifts at birthdays, Christmas, give them cash? There's another couple of grand a year. So just, just as a quick rundown, like I'm at uh, 10 grand there as a for sake of example. So, so, so Andy, order- is this a personal kind of exercise you've gone through? No, no, no. <laughs> I was, we were talking, so, and I, but I realized, you know, when you think about spending $10,000 a year, you need two hundred thousand, sorry, yeah, two hundred thousand at five percent growth to be able to just pay for that ongoing cost for the kids. Okay. I'm taking notes. So you got to get them off the payroll, and at the end of the day, it strengthens their ability to manage their own financial lives, and that's the key. Um, number three is plan wisely in the event of a divorce, and I'm only bringing that up. We've had friends that have gone through divorce. I'm sure we all have know that scenario, but. Uh, 25% of couples age 50 and older divorce. Uh, and, you know, basically it's gone up twice, two, double, it's doubled in the last 25 years, the divorce rate for 50 plus. So at the end of the day, you know, 
you're getting people living longer. We call it the longevity bonus, but it also means what we call gray divorce. <laughs> and so you've got a lot more, um, you know, basically your assets are being split and it's a major change in your lifestyle as well. So be prepared for that. We've got uh, two more things I want to talk about. The uh, vacation fantasy, we'll get into that in a little bit, and uh, not underliving your wealth as you head into retirement. So did you say, Andy, I just want to clarify, living longer means you have to get married twice? <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> you, you, you have to at least bank for it. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister, Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website, andyanddon.com As well, you can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. We're talking about how to avoid failing at retirement. Yeah, and I was just sort of talking through the analogy of when you're working, you sort of have a stream or river of income, and then once you retire, it kind of feels like you've got a lake and you're trying to figure out how to protect it. But at the end of the day, I think failing at retirement, and I sort of came up with my five top ones. Number one was keep an eye on spending. Number two was cut off the kids. Number three was um, uh, plan wisely in case of a, a divorce or the event of a divorce. And then number four and five, uh, number four is uh, beware of the vacation home fantasy. And I, you know, I've seen this where, you know, as couples reach their 50s and their 60s, they're in their peak earning years. You know, the kids are starting to leave home. They have more money than they had before. And that dream of a second home just sort of starts to percolate up. And uh, they think about their future retirement place. You know, maybe the family can come there and enjoy it. Uh, maybe it's a place we can pursue our hobbies, et cetera. So I think that sort of the reality, though, is that the vacation home is a can be a real serious burden in the context that it's expensive maintaining two homes. And now your income drops in retirement and you're trying to maintain two properties as you as you navigate into your own retirement. Now, the gap is actually the largest for the affluent. So those people that have money and they have more expensive homes, they have more lavish spending. And so now they've got their second property tends to mirror their lifestyle. So you've got this additional cost of a second property as well. I think just sort of planning out what it's going to cost um, in terms of maintaining a second property. Will it fit within your plan? And remember, when you hit in any kind of recession, it's vacation spots that are the most vulnerable in terms of trying to recoup and get access to cash. Uh, Number five was not underliving your wealth. And, you know, failing at retirement is often the fear of, of spending. And as a result, people holding back in terms of enjoying lifestyle and doing the things they want. Retirement's a new chapter. It's a time to explore things, new things. Uh, And I think people fail to live fully in retirement and enjoy what they've saved because they're cautious spenders. Our old habits die hard, right? We've been sort of working on this rational fear that uh, the future is, you know, I need to be full-on save mode and conserve mode still. Yet, when you think about retirement and you look at your plan, you want to make sure that that lake, right, have a review, whether it's 
your financial planner, your, your CFP, Don or myself, but really the idea is to have a, um, a review of that lake to understand, you know, how much can I dip in? Can I take a bucket and dip into it and, uh, and spend that without worrying uh, that it'll run dry? And I think the second part of it is creating what we call a fun bucket. And that's something you can set up, you know, something where you want to enjoy it and you're, you can spend it without any guilt. And uh, it's the fun bucket, I think, that sort of sets your mind at ease and helps you to learn to take some pleasure in what you've worked so hard to, to earn and save towards. So, so retirement's a real, it's a fascinating chapter. It's a journey, but it, it, it's probably from a financial perspective, some of the biggest decisions in terms of your lifestyle, in terms of your financial success are leading into that sort of three to five years heading into retirement and then the transition to retirement itself. So then on top of that, we have to worry about markets and stocks going up and stocks going down. <laughs> and, and should I be buying game stock or, <laughs> or where, cryptocurrencies? Where cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin on top of that. So anyway, I know, Don, you wanted to chat a little bit about what's been happening on that front. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Andy, it's, I think you'd agree there's really two types of clients we have or two types of people we meet. It's ones that don't have enough money and ones that have too much. And it really comes down to, as you mentioned, old high habits die hard. And the ones that have too much money are the ones that underlived throughout their life so that they could save some money for that time to retire. Now, that's the hard part. They've, they've been doing this for now 40-some-odd years, been putting money aside, and now it's hard to change it. Now, now they don't have to save money. And it's so hard for people that are good savers to stop saving, even though they well deserve to. And this is where a financial planner can literally give you that peace of mind, knowing that, okay, you can spend this much. In fact, we will let you have this much. I can't spend 12000 a year on vacations. Yes, you can. And this is how you do it. And you'll never run out of money. In fact, we often break this down between ages, say, 65 to 75. And I know you, uh, you've coined that before, Andy, with the, there's the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. And that go-go years is, okay, how much do I want to spend then? And that's a 65 to 75 zone. And then the slower area would be maybe the 75 to 85. And then again, the no-go years, maybe 85 and older. But I don't think that's the case in my parents, but everybody's different. At the end of the day, this is where a financial planner adds a ton of value to making sure that you are maximizing your fun and not leaving a lot of that fun on the table saying, oh, I wish I was able to do this. I wish. And the fact is, it's amazing how many pe what people can actually do. On the other end, the ones that don't have enough money, it's amazing what they think they can do, and they don't have enough to do it. And that's the other end of the equation, too. It says, no, you don't have enough money for that. Oh, well, you only live once. Um, you got to do it while you can. And people are the best rationalizers in the world for that kind of stuff. And I recently had a conversation last two weeks ago where somebody was lending money to their kids for their down payment. I said, this wasn't part of your plan. You were borderline before. No, this puts you totally offside. So again, it's, it's really the two types of people and sitting down and, get, and having these really intimate discussions about the finances based on certain rates of return and what can they afford. Now, how much can they afford is based on rates of return, as I just mentioned quite often. And it's kind of funny uh, where you think, okay, I'm now the old adage, I'm retiring now, so maybe I've got to have a lot more in fixed income. 
And I know uh, we recently listened to a speaker, both Andy and I, and it used to be 60% equities and 40% bonds was the way to go. With interest rates so low, it's now moved the dial to 75% equities, 25% fixed income. So now you've got to worry about, wow, that's a lot more in the markets. And there's a lot more ups and downs, of course, that you have to weather. Now, the trick here is, honestly, do not watch it every day. You'll drive yourself crazy. Do not watch it even really every quarter. Um, you, don't, you don't measure you know, how far it is to get drive to work with the yardstick. You get there, and you, you get to the office, and you say, okay, well, that's uh, 20 kilometers, and that's it. You look at the odometer. You don't sit there and measure it yard by yard. And that's the thing with market watchers. They watch it yard by yard, and it is so – it can be very stressful. So this is where you need a financial planner to sit and say, okay, is it a long-term goal? Yes, retirement's a long-term goal. Therefore, you need to have a long-term horizon or a long-term lens, if you will, on how you're going to measure that. So quite often – it's kind of funny right now. It wasn't long ago where they're saying, oh, you know, during the pandemic – Wow, the markets are low, and they're going to keep, and they're going to only going to get worse. Well, of course, that didn't happen. Now we're having the opposite kind of verbiage in the papers. Are they too high? And valuations of the stocks have never been a reliable timing tool. Um, in fact, for that matter, nothing has actually been a reliable timing tool. So if they seemed like, in the, we talked about price-earning ratios before. It's the price of the stock dividing by the um, earnings per share. So, and this is a very common measurement. And 20 is kind of always considered kind of high. But that goes up and down with the markets. And it really doesn't say, okay, they hit 20, so you better pull your money out of equities and put it into something fixed income. It's never been that easy. Because what happens is maybe the markets just go sideways for a while, and then the earnings start to go up, and they kind of just correct themselves and their earnings catch up to the new measurement. So you can't ever look at any kind of technical analysis to measure is it a good time to get in or a good time to go out. In fact, the ones that seem to do the best in the markets are the ones that diversify and leave it there. Uh, you were talking earlier, Don, about um, the discussion of, of your retirement portfolio, and, and, and Andy was saying, you know, uh, friends on a fixed income now because, uh, you know, being retired, that's the way it is. You start living off the pile of sugar or, or, or the lake, as, uh, as Andy said. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, the kids are at the age, oh, you know, they need a new home or they need a home. They need their first home. And they start banging on you for a down payment. Do you have to have that conversation as a financial planner? With Because I imagine this is a discussion that a financial planner would help as opposed to a spouse saying to another spouse, we can't afford to give them that money. It's for our retirement. How often do you have the discussion as a financial planner with a parent on each side saying, we want to give this or one wants to give this and the other one is saying, hang on, we can't do this right away. We've got our own goals. Uh, that's a great question, Scott. And this is a very because, normal, particularly with because, the market. Because for me, uh, someone like having uh, an Andy or a you there to do that, there's the price of admission right there. Oh, and, and you know what? We're the bad guys or the good guys. Yeah. Because the parents want to help out the kids. We've been doing it for so long. And it's all of a sudden they say, no, we can't help you here um, because you've got to look after your retirement. Well, maybe you could have, 
and you just don't know you could have, or maybe you really can't because you can't afford to, or you don't want to work till you're 75. <laughs> you know, these are all choices you make. And to Andy's point earlier, there's all these costs, and it's cutting that cord, kind of the umbilical cord of finances, if you will. And, you know, it seems like that one, the last legger might be the cell phone bill. It's like, okay, I've, I've got all the kids off everything, and there's still the cell phone bill that's there. And it's like, okay, I'm still helping them that, with that. It seems once they cut that one, they're finally on their own. <laughs> but... You're right, Scott. It, these are the conversations that we need to have and, and what impact. And quite frankly, it's sometimes we can help out. Sometimes there can be a short-term loan um, that can help them. Or maybe a co-sign, and that might be an option. And that's uh, so that the, you know, perhaps the kids' cash flows are excellent. They just can't get the down payment, and they need a co-sign help. So we often go through these discussions to make sure it is viable and what the impacts are and what your options are. And perhaps they have to uh, wait another year or two, or maybe they can jump in now. And I literally had this conversation with uh, clients of mine who have been clients for 30 years with their kids, who are now my son's client, and uh, discussing uh, how can we buy a house for them. So it's, it's coming full circle right now, Scott. So that's a great question. It's but amazing it, how many people would put off doing the right thing just because it's such a difficult conversation to have, much like wills or any of that stuff. They're all um, those questions that you'd rather avoid because it's real life. It's not turning on Netflix and, and getting amused um, by doing whatever. It's real life, and it's, how, it's actually putting on your thinking cap what is the best thing you should be doing to not only make sure you don't impact your own financial or your own retirement as andy was just talking about you know trying to make sure it's uh, shockproofed your retirement making sure the kids don't impact that but if they do what impact do, will they have and sometimes parents are saying you know what i don't mind if i had to, i was going to retire at 62 i'll work to 64 now that's the price to pay i'm i'll do it but others saying oh wow i didn't realize they were going to cause that i was a hundred percent chance of having a successful retirement now I'm down to 50% because of this. Not a chance. I'm not going to do that. So it is really important to have these conversations, as all these kind of financial conversations. And this is just an annual conversation we have. And, and you know, sometimes in one year I'll have five of these in, with a client in one year because so much change has happened. Or in other years it's just the status quo and we kind of just go over what's going on in their lives. So... It's kind of, there's no rhyme or reason on how often we discuss things with clients. It's really because it's a living plan. It truly is a living plan. We, it changes throughout the year. It changes year by year. And what was important two years ago is also not important, and other things crop up that are important. So it's, uh, we, we kind of constantly change it. And I actually had a, a client say, say to me last week, or two weeks ago, could I, um, how, how successful have your plans been? And I said, well, that's a great question. I had, if you were an engineer and you followed it exactly, they would be extremely successful because we were very conservative on, the, on, our, on our assumptions. However, if you didn't follow it and life got in the way, such as helping a kid buy a house or the impact of, of uh, perhaps an inheritance, which is a good thing. So you have both ends of it. Yeah, the plan changes dramatically. 
So very rarely is a financial plan static. In fact, I would suggest there is no such thing as a static financial plan because everybody's lives change throughout. And so therefore, the plan needs to adjust. And whether it needs to be done every year, that's great. Um, But sometimes nothing happens in a year. So it's just easy to input the new numbers because your your assets have gone up or down. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the actual financial plan to be really relevant in, in a person's life needs to be changed as you change and to make sure that we are accomplishing our, our clients' goals because they're, they're also changing, funny enough, even though what was important, like I said, a few years ago, all of a sudden, okay, well, that's good and all, Don, but um, here are my new financial goals. Oh, okay. Total, total pivot, no different than what we've been living through through a pandemic in the last, <laughs> call it a year. Everybody's lives have pivoted, and their financial goals have changed. So I don't know about you, Andy, but I don't think we could ever be busier than right now. Everybody's at home. Hmm. We're getting far more calls. <laughs> when people finally get to go away, we won't hear from anybody. <laughs> I'm sure you felt the same way. <laughs> well, I think that um, uh, I, I'm surprised how well everybody's adjusted to a virtual meeting, right? Yeah, that's a good the point. Biggest, uh, biggest change for a lot of people. And um, and I, I do feel bad because a lot of clients who are elderly that don't have access to Internet, um, they are missing that sort of face-to-face. So we, we lots of phone calls, lots of conversations, not necessarily virtual, but it's uh, it's a busy time. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to talk about the markets here. Yes, and we were just talking about you know having the lens for the long term and not getting caught up in, in measuring the markets really short term as it's so easy to do, particularly during a pandemic when there's less things to watch anyway. So people say, oh, I wonder what happened to my, the markets today. But anyway, if you look at the S&P 500, it has been positive 31 out of 41 years. And that's ignoring dividends. So the S&P 500 is the U.S. stock market. And that's usually the best measurement because, to be honest, the they look after about 60% of the wealth in the world, so it's, it's better to look at the U.S. markets. Um, and if you looked at from 1980 all the way to 2020, last year, the, the S&P 500 in 1980 was 108. That was the value of it. And now it's at 37.56 by the end of 2020. That works out to a 9% per year return. And that's, that's ignoring dividends. So if you just say, okay, 9%, I'll take that any day of the week. Well, sure we will. And in fact, if you currently got 6%, I'd be quite pleased. But at the end of the day, that's a lot better. And so when you look in, in big chunks, say, well, how long is my retirement? Well, if you're a 65-year-old, then likely you've got to plan for, call it, 30 years. And therefore, if you think in 30-year time frames, you'll be fine. Now, what happens, though, if in every single year there is a downturn? Now, not like last year in 2020 when you saw 30, 
4% drop in 33 days. That's a little abnormal. However, the average per year is 14%. That's how much there's a dip during the course of the year. Now, it doesn't mean you had a negative year. It just means there was a dip of that much somewhere along the way, and therefore it went right back up. Those are always kind of unsettling, um, unless you don't know about them. Then they don't bother anybody. <laughs> okay? If you simply look at your statements at the end of the year, say, oh, up or down, it was okay. But the people that watch it every year, uh, every day rather, it could be somewhat unsettling. So no one can predict when a correction will, will begin, and even more so, nobody can predict where the bottom is. So we've talked about before, trying to get out before the correction is only half the job. Because once, if you did, and if you got lucky last year and you cashed in, say, February 18th before the market started to go down, I can guarantee you, I don't know one person, first of all, and I only know two people that um, looked at cashing in early, but I know nobody that wanted to put money back in um, March 23rd and that to buy it back. So, in fact, most people come into September, they're still saying, oh, the market's going to keep going to go right back down again. This is, And so to... It, these are all useless conversations in the in the bigger scheme of things because all they do, they they hurt you financially. You end up getting a lower return because now you're worried about all the ups and downs, and you're also not letting the experts run your fund. And so Peter Lynch, a very famous investor, was is one of his famous quotes is for them. There's been far more money lost by investors preparing for a correction, or trying to anticipate corrections than has ever been lost in the corrections themselves. And nothing can be truer than that. Wait, and, the, and the two people I do know, and they're not clients, that did cash in before or during this market, they never got back in, and it cost them money because not only did they pay income tax on, these, on what their gains were, they never got back in on time. And had they just left it alone, they would have been far better off. And Charlie Munger, who would be Warren Buffett's sidekick, and he often, his, his, his rule is, the first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it. <laughs> and it's so hard. Compound interest works. It always has. But the markets are going to go up and down, up and down. And if as long as we, we think longer term, we'll be fine. So it's kind of funny, though. The news, media, websites, what have you, they have to be alarming. Otherwise, people aren't going to read them. People aren't going to watch them. And when, so when the market's doing well, like it has been, it's always overvalued. Oh, I think it's too high now. I don't know. I wouldn't be putting the market in. It's too, it's too high. And then when the market's doing poor, poorly, it's only going to get worse. So it's never a good time to ever invest, according to the media. Never. When it was down in March, I can, the, the newspapers were talking about this won't recover for some time. Well, that was obviously the best time to buy. And then... During the before the election, oh, I wouldn't get now because of the election. There's never a good time to buy. So, really, what I think is the media needs a financial planner, <laughs> because if you looked at the data, if you look at one-year segments, um, as we mentioned, seventy-five percent. If we go all the way from 1926 to 2020, every one-year period of time, which was 1,129 periods, 852 were positive. If you looked at three-year chunks. 1,105 periods were positive, or 84%. If you looked at five-year chunks, and this is all U.S., by the way, 1,081 periods were positive, which, sorry, out of the 1,081 periods, 953 were positive, which was 88%. So 
So generally speaking, we say five-year periods are pretty safe. In fact, if you look at 10-year periods, it's now 95%. And by the way, once you got to a 15-year period, it was 99.7%. You had a positive result. In 20-year periods, there's never been a negative result. But if I had to go one step more than that, that's just the U.S. market. If you were to add Canada to it, Europe, emerging markets, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any negative 10-year periods, all the way going to 1926. So as long as you have a lens of 10 years in terms of what you're thinking and didn't get caught up in it, you will have a positive result if, as long as you look in 10-year periods of time. Why do we look at one year? Why do we look at 365 days? It's kind of like we've been trained to do so. We should never look at one-year periods of time when we're thinking about a 30-year retirement. And so this is where it gets, it's important to have the mindset to match the goals with the type of investments you're looking for. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to spend the last segment talking about borrowing to invest. Yeah, I just had I just had a visual of Don's uh, multimedia mega TV station where they talk about finances all the time. And basically, Don opens up the show every time and say, okay, don't look at your statement. Wait until the end of the year. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> you <laughs> know what? I probably wouldn't make it on that. The, the newscast would go bankrupt, but the clients would make a lot of money. That's true. <laughs> anyway, I just want to talk about borrowing to invest. And this is something that, um, that we want to cross from time to time. And with interest rates so low, you know, people have been questioning or asking about borrowing to invest. And of course, we've all borrowed to invest if you bought a home. Uh, it's a little different with a principal residence. We have to live somewhere. But at the end of the day, you're borrowing money and you're paying interest. And, uh, and the, the goal is to buy, it, buy something where the asset increases in value. Borrowing to invest to buy a depreciating asset, it doesn't make sense. So, um, but borrowing to invest when you're simply financing and putting money into uh, mutual fund investments or stock investments or even as a rental property. But in general, uh, this is something that's very, it takes a lot of expertise and it takes a lot of knowledge. This is not something you, you necessarily want to do on your own without a lot of research. But at the end of the day, from IG's perspective and our own organization, we take it very seriously. In fact, I was just looking at some of the requirements and for a new consultant in our organization, they have to go through an external two-hour study course. They have to get 70% to pass that. They have to have completed 60 joint client meetings and discussions about this type of uh, strategy. They have to have a certification test, uh, and that's internal that we do. Uh, any applications that they uh, submit that involve borrowing to invest are reviewed by our branch manager for pre-approval, and they also have to complete a borrowing for investment disclosure checklist. So if that doesn't deter you from doing it, at the end of the day, it's still a strategy that makes sense. But we, I ran across, across a really bad one 
a few years ago, and I just wanted to share what a bad investment strategy looks like. And in this case, it was an individual who had borrowed to invest, but they were relying on the investment income, what we call a return of capital, to make their payments on the loan. And uh, so in this example, the client's goal was to pay off their mortgage in five years' time. And an advisor had told them, instructed them, and their mortgage is about $100,000. They borrowed $200,000 at prime plus one. And uh, back at the time, interest rates were about 3.75%. So they had to pay $7,500 a year of interest or six twenty-five a month. And her income, this was a uh, single mom with three kids, her income was $68,000 a year. So she was only in a 30% marginal tax bracket. Now, with that investment, they took the $200,000, put it into an investment, and they took an 8% uh, annual payout paid monthly. So they took $16,000 from the investment each year, and they used, which was 1333 and they had an extra $700 a month out of that investment, which they used to pay down the mortgage, their personal mortgage. And uh, basically what they were doing was selling units every month of their investment, and that reduced the interest tax deductibility. Uh, and in fact, for this process, for this to work, they would have had to have averaged almost 15% a year to double their money in five years and for this to work out. Uh, bottom line was the company where this individual was working, um, the regulators stepped in and shut them down. The advisor's uh, license was revoked. And uh, fortunately, the company was large enough that they were able to make the client whole in terms of repaying them what uh, out-of-pocket expenses they had. So when you're structuring money, uh, borrowing to invest, there's a couple, two basic options. You can have an interest-only loan or you can have a principal and interest loan where you're making uh, payments over an amortization period. And the, one of the key things is record-keeping. If CRA ever challenges you about your deduction and how it's structured, it's very important you need to keep a separate loan. Don't commingle the loan with other lines of credit you've got. You need to create a separate investment account so that you can separately track any of the costs and the income from that investment. Any dividends that you have paid out, um, they should go to a separate bank account. Uh, and, you, and again, you need a separate bank account just to track the interest that you pay and uh, so money going in and out to service that loan. And so that record keeping kind of just helps keep you on track. And we've used leveraging for different strategies. It can be for increasing or, you know, in enhancing your retirement nest egg. Uh, and a lot of times we've used it in the past for purchasing a car where you sort of look out over the next 10 years and say, my next vehicle I need to buy, I'm going to do it using a, a leverage or investment strategy where I borrow money today and I structure a loan so I can deduct the interest. And then in 10 years' time, I'll have a lump sum available to be able to pay the car off, or buy a new car, I should say. So that can be very cost-effective. You can save yourself, like on a, I was looking at a $35,000 vehicle, 10 years from today, with inflation, that's probably about $45,000. In many cases, these kinds of strategies, you can save yourself from fifteen dollars to $20,000 in terms of that purchase price by using leveraging. So it is something that works, but you have to be uh, very careful in how you structure it. Make sure you're dealing with a professional, and uh, don't be overly aggressive when it comes to borrowing to invest. And, and right, and right now, it's uh, people are considering: Does it make sense to borrow for an RSP? And because we got a couple weeks left before the deadline is is, is looming, so it's uh, it is a, a good conversation to have with your financial advisor. And I will be going through an example of that next week.
All right, there we go. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you quickly at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to see you all again. Have a great week. You too, Thank Scott. You, Scott. Take care, everybody. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.